Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. I am displeased to report that the Open Floor mail at gmail.com mailbag hit a new low this week, uh, early this week. I'm also just going to own it. It was my fault, Andrew. I came at you a little bit too hard in the last episode when we started talking about LeBron. I got a little too passionate, Yep. Uh, a, a little too uh, hard-headed, and <laughs> I didn't realize, much like the NBA Awards show, I didn't realize there was two giant swarms of killer bees just ready to, to pounce on me. That would be the LeBron stands and the Lakers stands. Yes. And I ran, I ran straight into them. So unfortunately... We got some death threats. <laughs> we got some other uh, emails that we probably should not read or even acknowledge on this podcast, lest we, you know, open criminal investigations. But there was a bright side to all of this, Andrew, and it happened midway through the week. And personally, I believe uh, the ultimate bright side will determine my executive of the year vote uh, for next year. Now, it's not an official vote, but. Uh, you know, the GMs vote on that. Right. But I think I know who's going to be the exec of the year. Here's why. I think it was what? Tuesday when Washington unveiled its master plan <laughs> of big time moves. Okay. We're talking Jeff Greed. We're talking about, you know, the the real coup de gras, Dwight Howard, yes. bringing him into the mix of possibly the worst locker room in the league for a winning team. Exactly what they needed. And instantly, the emails shifted from <laughs> I people know. wishing... We didn't hear another word about the Lakers all week after the Wizards pulled off. I will say it was the sequence of the summer, the Jeff Green, Dwight Howard double whammy. It was great. Back to back, man. And <laughs> so instantly, the emails shifted from people wanting me dead to people worried about your health and, and your long-term you know, mental stability. Yes. And for that reason alone, I think when you stack up these GMs side by side, Andrew, you could say Magic Johnson, he revitalized a once proud organization with the LeBron James move, right? We could say Bob Myers up in Golden State. We could definitely say, oh, he ruined the league with this amazing DeMarcus Cousins sign. Yep. But can we say anyone saved a life like Ernie Grunfeld saved my life? <laughs> I don't think we could say that, Andrew. And so, therefore, I'm going to be casting my unofficial vote for him as executive of the year, regardless of how the rest of this plays out. I love it. I really like that reasoning. No GM has been more impactful than Ernie Grunfeld this summer. Maybe that's the way we should put it. Um, he is sort of like a throwback to the days of yore when half the appeal of free agency was making fun of the teams that make the most irresponsible choices most of that hasn't happened this summer. It seems like everyone is trying to keep their powder dry for 2019 and beyond. But here are the Wizards, man, running it back, piecing together the core, bringing in Dwight. I will, we'll start with two emails. <laughs> I obviously have a lot of thoughts here, but... Um, there were a- this could be a two-hour podcast where you cry <laughs> or you just quit. I'm really excited to see which direction it goes. I don't know, man. I hate to break it to you. A lot of people wrote in excited to hear me sad on this podcast, but that's not how I'm feeling. But I'll say uh, for the first email was from James who said, Andrew, I'm so sorry. You don't deserve this. No one deserves this. We all feel for you. 
and we will understand that talking yourself into Jeff Green in February is an important part of the grieving process for you and the Wizards. We won't hold it against you. And then Drew said, I am a man of science, or as Ben would say, I'm a reality-based person. I am not superstitious, and I do not believe in karma. Or at least, I didn't. That all changed 15 minutes ago when I read that Jeff Green had been signed by the Washington Wizards. Amazing. Have fun with that, Andrew Sharp. So, those were, we got a bunch of condolences related to the Jeff Green signing. And then and we got a, a similar tenor from the emailers about the Austin Rivers deal last week. And then the funny part is, because I was going through the emails this morning, and once the Dwight news hit, it was like the emailers stopped being coherent, and we just got like screenshots of the news with like LOLOL in the subject line and like didn't really have anything to say. But let me tell you something, Ben. I, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'm nervous because, first of all, I didn't hate the Jeff Green signing, which tells me that there's an aspect of the Jeff Green experience that you can't truly appreciate until you're watching him every night. But like, as a replacement for Mike Scott on a minimum deal, I'm cool with Jeff Green. I'm also mostly cool with Austin Rivers. Again, as I tweeted last week, like it involves surrendering a lot of pride and dignity to root for him, but I'm already there with the Wizards, okay? There's no dignity left. And as for we Dwight know. Howard... We know, trust me, that's <laughs> self-evident. <laughs> Look, the Dwight side of this is really tough, okay? I was reminded by a friend a couple days ago, because I had had, a, I had, had a, an inkling that this was coming uh, a couple days before it actually happened, so I had time to sort of prepare myself emotionally. I talked to a couple people about it, and I was reminded that, like, when I was just starting out in basketball writing back in like 2011, I wrote a post on Deadspin about how Dwight Howard was my least favorite athlete in professional sports and certainly the NBA. And I was very hard on him. And this was before Dwight was kind of universally scorned, but I kind of drew a line in the sand. And now, I mean, so many different Wizards dreams have come crumbling down it's sort of appropriate that i have to talk myself into dwight howard but i'm gonna do it okay because i really do think no 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 listen listen no andrew no (laughs) the alternatives were alex len like 180 pound nerland's noel with a god only knows what's going on with him off the court because no team in the nba wanted to touch him with a 10-foot pole or 320 pound boogie cousins who will probably be great for the warriors but would have been horribly depressing in dc and look coming into this offseason i told you I, I believe i said it on the pod a couple times all i asked was for the wizards to kind of mix it up and turn it over a little bit and give me something new to think about because last year was just too depressing and like such a clear plateau for this nucleus and now like I'm ready to get weird. Let's see what let's see what happens with Dwight. I I am cool with this for the most part. 
this is truly disturbing. I mean, this is the most <laughs> distilled version of a fan talking himself into something. Look, I understand you always want to cut against the grain, Andrew, but there's certain grains you just can't cut against. Can I just give you, uh, before we get to Jeff Green at Austin Rivers, whatever, can I just give you a quick rundown of Dwight Howard's sort of reign of terror here sure. over the last like six or seven years? <laughs> I need and it's to just going to be facts Clearly. only. It'll be quick. No interruptions because I think it's one of those things that's so profound when you hear it in order. Okay. Dwight Howard will now be joining his sixth team in the past eight seasons. Okay. Yes. He left Orlando in 2012. Stan Van Gundy was fired in 2012. He left the Lakers in 2013. Mike D'Antoni was fired in 2014. He left the Rockets in 2016. Kevin McHale was fired in uh, you know early 2015-16 season, and then his interim replacement, J.B. Bickerstaff, was not retained in 2016. He, he left the Hawks in 2017. Mike Budenholzer left in 2018. <laughs> Dwight Howard left the Hornets in 2018. Steve Clifford was fired in 2018. And keep in mind, I didn't even include the GMs like Rich Cho, who sort of also were casualties yeah. of you know, his uh, presence along the way. So add that all up. His last six coaches were either fired during his last season or immediately after his last season uh, in that respective spot, or they didn't last more than one year after he left. So you can kind of take two conclusions. One, you can say, He's a head case. He's incredibly difficult to manage. He will blow up your locker room. Two, you could say, basically, he's become this last-ditch option for teams that are just completely desperate and weighing their choices between, like, Dwight Howard and Alex Len, yeah. like you just laid out. I think both are going to apply in Washington here. I mean, I think Washington's fairly desperate. You know, like you're saying, let's shake it up. I mean, that's code word for we really need to pray that something good's going to happen to us. <laughs> And by the way, Dwight's only got less and less uh, skilled uh, along that journey, and his fit in the sort of the modern NBA has sort of been more and more questionable. So that is my dose of reality, but I want to see exactly how deep are you in this Dwight sauce? Well, Did that just <laughs> roll right over you and not even phase you a little bit? Because <laughs> if I'm Scott Brooks, I listen to that and I consider just you know resigning with my uh, dignity intact. Let me tell you something, though. <laughs> You know what wouldn't be the worst thing in the world from my perspective as a Wizards fan? Scott Brooks getting fired. Or, God forbid, after 15 or 20 years of excellence in D.C., or whatever you would call it, Ernie Grunfeld, the future executive of the the year, if he has to move on at the end of all this, it's it's a net positive for the Wizards, okay? So that's the way I'm looking at this, is it's gonna be a strange year in dc i'm excited to have the up close and personal dwight howard experience um and look i there's no question i am so far down the rabbit hole with this that i really have no idea what my true feelings are at this point but i also have no choice but to just embrace it and lean into the chaos here which again Like, the Wizards were already going to be one of the most dysfunctional teams in the NBA, so we might as well just go full tilt and throw in Dwight and Austin Rivers and see what happens. I mean, I was was told um, a week ago that 
Bradley Beal apparently just like passionately hated Austin Rivers throughout high school, which I guess it hasn't really been reported, but that's another wild card to throw into the mix. And then we still got Markeith Morris. That would be my one hope, actually, is I don't want to have to watch another year of Markeith Morris. But I, and I'm afraid of this because I do truly believe in my heart that the Wizards did okay this offseason, given their options. I don't think they could have traded John Wall, even if they wanted to. And uh, I'm interested to see what happens. I think Dwight has been in in two really rough situations in Charlotte. Look, he's a mess. I wouldn't bet on him if I were a good team, but the Wizards aren't a good team. So rolling the dice and seeing what happens. And look, I mean... I don't know. I probably sound like an insane person, but we can see what happens. No, it's it's great. It's great because, look, LeBron finally leaves the East. So if you're a team in that second tier that's just been kind of getting knocked off or always been in his shadow for these last eight years, this is your time to be exuberant, to pitch yourself on a, a finals trip. Hey, we're building momentum. And what you've just described is you hope that Dwight Howard becomes a grenade in the front office <laughs> and basically takes all the important decision makers with him so you're not dreaming about the finals you're basically hoping that Dwight blows the whole thing up from the inside very very impressive that's right uh, the second thing I I wanted to say real quick is I was flashing back to draft night when you were just kind of giddy at all of the landmines that Washington had avoided like you didn't want Michael Porter and they, they barely avoided him there's a couple other guys who you didn't want the Wizards to pick and you came out of that night just so happy and so relieved. And I'm wondering, as this was playing out, before you talked yourself uh, into Dwight Howard, Austin Rivers, uh, you know, your new favorite players, and, and Jeff Green, <laughs> I am, I'm just wondering, did all of that come flooding back? Like, did you feel like you were on the other side of the karma fence where, like, everything had gone right for you on draft night, and now here it comes going wrong uh, in free agency? Did that ever go through your mind or no? You know... That's a good question, because I was sitting there with you on draft night, and I did kind of feel like disaster had been averted uh, when they passed on Michael Porter. And, I mean, look, I'm not going to say that I spoke too soon, because, again, I don't feel like this is necessarily a disaster. This that There are no bad outcomes. Either it works with this suicide squad and the Wizards overachieve next year, or it all turns into a disaster that gets everyone fired and, and we turn over and start the rebuild, hopefully around Bradley Beal and Otto Porter. So I'm not going to say that it was that, that this is like the worst case scenario. However, I have been watching Michael Porter Jr. drain jumpers against like random nuggets assistants. <laughs> in Denver and maybe if I had it all to do over again I would go back and just have them take Michael Porter Jr. if it meant not having to talk myself into Dwight and Austin Rivers and Jeff Green because again like before I got Stockholm syndromed by all this like a week ago when you asked me I said I would rather lose without Dwight Howard than win with him 
And I think that's still probably the most objective stance to take. But somehow along the way, I have gone off the deep end and I'm ready. I'm ready for next season. Yeah, man, this is truly truly troubling (laughs) i'm thinking i should start one of those uh funding pages crowdsourcing pages to get you a dwight jersey i mean if you're gonna be like this we just gotta go all the way with it well let me let me say this though i'm genuinely curious to see like what the deal is with some of these guys okay because you hear from fans talking about jeff green and we got some emailers from from la talking about austin rivers and like dwight i mean it's it's almost legendary how toxic he has been in some of these locker rooms. So, I mean, as a reporter who's going to be at a lot of these games next year and who's going to be around this team, I genuinely am kind of excited to see how it plays out. I mean, it's going to be a total mess. And again, the Wizards still have more talent than most of the teams in the East. I would probably put them like third maybe at the at the outset next year depending on how you feel about toronto but like they're in the mix there's there's boston and then there's four or five teams that have a chance to be good and the wizards can be one of those teams yeah i'm surprised you don't think they're still more talented than the celtics but i kind of hear you i mean look these are (laughs) you know potentially explosive volatile moves right but lebron leaves so like why not try whatever you can possibly do to raise your ceiling I do think like you guys have had a lot of really bad backup guards over the last five years. I mean, that's just been like a nightmare hole. Austin Rivers is better than basically every backup guard you guys have had in a while. And I think he's one of those guys who sort of eventually commands begrudging respect if you can get over your preconceived notions of him. Like he plays very hard, Mm -hmm. solid defensively, you can guard multiple positions, uh, you know, he doesn't make the world's best decisions on offense, but he is capable and good. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> uh, he's capable and, and yeah. good. And that is something that we can't say about any of the Wizards backup players. But, you know, in terms of being a top three so, team, I, I just don't see that. Come on, man. Well, yes. And look, I recognize that so many people are going to listen to the top of this podcast and listen to my not entirely ironic <laughs> wizards optimism and be even more concerned than they were a couple days ago and that's completely reasonable but i will say that yes the bar for solid third guard in washington is extremely low <laughs> we haven't had a really good backup point guard in like 15 years i think a- antonio daniels was like the last credible guy that they could bring off the bench and he was playing behind Gilbert in like 2004. So I'm ready for Austin Rivers. I And Dwight, I mean, look, <laughs> it's going to be insane. But uh, I will say that the, the final thought that I have on the Wizards before we move on to real teams that people actually care about. Um, I kind of enjoy being the biggest punchline in the league it's a more (laughs) natural place for me to be as a wizards fan because last year at this time everybody was trying to talk themselves in to the wizards as like a potential challenger in the east and like the next team that could that could enter the title conversation and that always felt a bit forced and this is more natural and so I'm ready to go on the ride. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. But okay, re- uh, it should be real fun. quick. I've got one 
quick point and then one final wizards question I, i'm trying to twist a knife i'm sure the listeners can hear me do it <laughs> I, i'm not getting very far i'm feeling no yeah, pain no, so you, you've got like an entire body armor uh you know suit over there i, I can't make any progress first thing is I like the Dwight okay. Howard signing mostly because you and Charles Barkley are the only two people who pronounce his first name with two syllables. You always call him Dwight, and I think that's going to be a great <laughs> on-running thing throughout this entire season. I'm looking forward to it, especially when you're angry and screaming Dwight, Dwight, Dwight. I can't wait for that. Second, remember I posed that question to you, hey, would you rather have Cousins or would you rather have Howard? And you kind of went with the, the more emotional answer of, I don't really want to cheer for Howard, so I'll take Cousins. But when you see how the market treated Cousins in terms of, you know, he only gets that one year mini mid-level deal from Golden State. Uh, you know, he makes this big noise about, oh, I had another op- no other offers. And, you know, it's not clear, you know, whether that's true or not. But clearly he didn't get that sort of max level money that a lot of people expected. Did that make you think yeah. that Washington had actually made the correct decision? It's like if everyone else values Cousins and worries about his health to such a great degree – are you better off just having Dwight for this season? You know, like if you're trying to find a, a stopgap replacement for Gortat and you're trying to make a deep playoff run this year with Wall sort of in his prime, does Dwight actually make yeah. more sense than Cousins given those circumstances? Oh, I definitely think that Dwight is a better option than Boogie would have been. Um, I don't know if I would give Washington credit for making the right decision. I haven't really reported any of this or, or, or done any reporting to, to be able to speak with authority here, but I would imagine that whatever Golden State was offering Boogie, Washington was also offering Boogie, and they were probably exploring some trade possibilities. So I'm... I'm not sure that the the Wizards kind of like begged out of the boogie sweepstakes, but as a consolation prize, I do think that Dwight makes more sense for what Washington's trying to do. Like they, the Wizards don't have four all-stars to, to win the first four months of the season. And like, they're going to need somebody to be in there. And uh, it would have been absolutely brutal to watch the Wizards start the first three months of the season with Jan Mahinmi in there and then have to like talk myself into rehabbing Boogie coming back in like mid January as the solution to the season. Like that just would have been a really dark timeline. Whereas the Dwight thing is just going to be a really strange timeline. And I'm into it. Yeah. Uh, let me just, for the record, you will be out of it by Thanksgiving. You're going to think it's great <laughs> for, for about four weeks and you're going to be completely over it. I think we should leave it well, there. Well, look. That was probably going to happen regardless. I'm at least at least I now have an excuse to talk myself back into the Wizards and, and following this team for the first month of the season, and then who knows where we'll be by Thanksgiving. But listen, the bigger news in the NBA this week was the Boogie Cousins deal in Golden State. So I have a question here from Linda who says. I'm a long-time listener since late 2017, and this is my first time emailing in. I just need to know if this is a hot take. Boogie will not improve the Warriors, and the signing actually hurts Golden State. Did anyone leave those playoffs thinking that what the Warriors need is to add another center? The opportunity cost to using the mid-level exception on Boogie is that they won't be using it to add wing depth. With Iggy another year older, that's where their focus should have been. I just see way more downsides than upsides with this move. 
What do you think, Ben? Well, first of all, thank you to Linda. Fantastic question. Fantastic logic. Uh, I I like where you're coming from. I don't agree um, exactly. I mean, I don't think it's a hot take, first of all. I think that's a completely reasonable no. opinion to have. I think a lot of smart basketball people, that was their first thought. Is like, wait a second, didn't they need it? Well, actually, no. The, the first thought was definitely like, what the hell is happening? Oh, my God, they really signed Boogie. But like four or five notches down the list of reactions was like, huh, maybe they should have signed a wing. I'm not sure how much sense this makes, but continue. Well, I was just going to say, no one came out of those playoffs thinking, oh, the Warriors really need to add another center because they had six of them and they were all, you know, stiffs or young guys, right? Like when you watch Zaza Pachulia play versus their small lineups, of course you want them to go small, right? Like Boogie Cousins is not Zaza Pachulia. Like he's got a ton of red flags. I'm not the world's biggest fan. I mean, every single thing that you worry about, whether it's personality, injury, uh, you know, team play, conditioning, which you've brought up over and over, it's kind of funny. You raise his weight about 10 pounds every podcast. I appreciate you doing that. Uh, Those are all like very real concerns, right? But if you're Golden State, you're just perfectly positioned to manage all of it. Like you don't need to rush him back. Uh, you can basically just cut his minutes uh, if he's not playing the right way, quote unquote. You don't have to play him in crunch time situations. I think they're still going to go small. And so you love to kind of, you know, clown on Kevin Durant as a role player. I think Boogie Cousins will actually, because of the injury especially, wind up being a quote unquote role player for them. And there has been situations where they could use a guy who can just go get a bucket as a counter. You know, like if you're playing switch happy defenses and you could just throw the ball to to Boogie Cousins on a guy who's 6'6", forget about it. And he lives on the free throw line. He pounds defenses. Uh, he's going to, I think, in some situations, prevent some of the stagnation that developed when Kevin Durant was doing a little bit too much during the postseason. Uh, I think he's going to be able to mm-hmm. help there. I've got concerns defensively how well he's going to be able to keep up, especially after the injury. But again, is he going to be worse, like (laughs) stepping out on screens and then recovering than a guy like Zaza, who's, you know, falling all over people and injuring half the Golden State (laughs) roster? No, he's not. In terms of the wing depth issue, I totally hear you. And I think like if they had the choice, let's say, Andrew, between Boogie Cousins and Trevor Ariza, like I think they would have taken Trevor Ariza, right? But Ariza went for $15 million on a one-year deal. And a lot of the other guards, that was sort of the popular approach. It's like, let's get as many dollars as we can on a short-term contract. Teams didn't want to commit long-term this summer. So like a Tyreek Evans kind of cashes out in Indiana. And so for that reason, some of the wings who they might have wanted were out of their price range. So I think if you go, we can add an all-star caliber player, quote-unquote, once he's healthy during the postseason, a guy who's going to be motivated during a contract year. uh, And then we can worry about the wing depth issues, uh, potentially, you know, with the minimum salary slots, uh, you know, down the line, uh, I think you're just fine there. But it was the hole. I mean, the only hole they had during the playoffs is the one that she identified, which was the wing depth. And I think, uh, yeah. but I'm not really that concerned about Iguodala aging. I mean, he looked fine when they needed him, right? I mean, he, the health issues well, against the Western Conference Finals were concerning, but they got more than enough from him when he was on the court with their best five. Uh, you know, to sweep through the finals. I just don't think it's something you need to I guess hammering so. too much about. What I would say on the Iggy front is that I was worried and and his health is really the only way I think anyone could have talked themselves into the Warriors not winning again next year. Um, and I'm not sure you can do that anymore because 
Boogie is going to really help them. I like I think the way that this all played out is that on Monday night when the news broke, everyone lost their mind and then there was room for a wave of takes where people could say, "All right, listen, Boogie is coming off the most serious injury in basketball. We have no idea how much he's really going to help them. This is a gamble for the Warriors. He doesn't necessarily fit their culture." And that this this is kind of like a, a really interesting risk, more so than like the Warriors just created the best team of all time, um, which is a fair point to make, and all of those concerns are valid. But I think if you look at it realistically, and you hit on this, like Boogie really only has to be like slightly better than Javale or Zaza for this to be worthwhile for the Warriors, and I think. In that respect, that's a that's a pretty easy bar for him to clear. But also, if he can get back to like 70% of the player he was pre-injury, he's going to be really valuable for them. I like he he is a when he's willing, he could be a really effective passer out of the post. He is just gonna he makes them so much harder to guard and like we don't even have to I'm happy for Boogie because this is this is gonna be kind of a fun year to watch him um but I also think like people shouldn't overthink it he is gonna be such a pain in the ass to deal with on top of guarding guys like Steph and and Clay and Durant and and exhausting yourself on the perimeter like Boogie inside one on one can score on anyone in the league, and that's probably still going to be true whenever he gets back to like a reasonable degree of health. And uh, I don't know, <laughs> like I, I, I'm not as bummed out as everyone else is because the Warriors were already going to win the title next year, and this is just kind of a a weird wild card that will make it more interesting. Yeah, I think a couple other stray points on Boogie. One. He was actually coached pretty well by Coach Cal in college. Like for whatever reason, he actually yeah. respected Coach Cal, and that w- that kept him in line, quote unquote. I think Draymond is going to have that same influence on him. I think that Draymond, you know, man to man, can be like, "Look, I've done a lot of stuff you haven't done. I know this stuff better than you do. Listen to me." And I think that that relationship will be the key to getting the most out of Cousins, especially on the defensive end. Uh, and I just think he's set up for success too. I mean. So much of his frustration in Sacramento was his weaker teammates or his flawed mm-hmm. coaching strategies letting him down. In Golden State, especially to start, DeMarcus Cousins is going to be the weakest link, right? So you don't get to whine and pout and point fingers at your teammates and do all that stuff when you're the weakest link. You exactly. feel like you have to like you know raise your own game to get onto their level. You feel the pressure to prove yourself to them. I think that's exactly what DeMarcus Cousins need. And I think, you know, having a guy like Draymond on the court in his ear constantly, like letting him know you can't loaf back and transition defense. You can't just not rotate out to a shooter uh, is also exactly what he what he needs. And so I think I'm pretty bullish on uh, the whole fit there. I think the one thing I'm not looking yeah. forward to, though, Andrew, it's the persecution complex. I mean, to me, the way that Draymond and KD act towards the referees is really unbecoming of a team that's as talented as the Warriors are. I mean, it's not quite to like Neymar writhing on the ground throughout the World Cup when, you know, he's one of the most talented players and just kind of disgracing the game, you know, time after time. But it's not great. And you throw Boogie into that mix, and now you have this team that basically should be winning every game they play. 
they're they're going to lose you know a lot of games because they don't put forth max, max effort and yet we're going to have to watch these three guys who are kind of perennially among the league leader in technical fouls take out their frustrations on this poor refere- these poor referees I'm not looking forward to seeing that. You know, I, I would hope that they have kind of a come-to-Jesus moment and just decide, look, we've got five all-stars in our starting lineup. We have no <laughs> right to complain about any calls. Yeah, I mean, I am with you all the way on that front, in part because I, I think if you took away the like relentless pouting from Boogie's game, I would still be all in on Team Boogie. But I think as I've gotten older, I've just become less tolerant for like his little interludes where he makes himself the victim, and uh, and I'll, like I've matured and Boogie hasn't. Like the 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 Demarcus Cousins <laughs> act has not changed in like ten years. So hopefully Golden State will bring the best out of him, and because uh, I do, I think if you go back to Demarcus Cousins on Team USA particularly in 2014 at the world championships like it was like watching a whole different player and he was awesome and his body language was great and uh and I think that is closer to what we'll see with the Warriors it's not to say I don't mean to sound like the the people who were kind of like tempering the hysteria on Monday and Tuesday are off base because there are real concerns and it'll be interesting to see like what Steve Kerr does if Boogie isn't playing well it isn't doing all the little things that are kind of important to making the warriors go and i i don't know what kind of leash he'll have out there and so it it is going to be interesting i just think like i'm betting on it working out and i i think that we don't need to overthink it too much this is probably going to make the warriors obscenely dominant and uh that's kind of where we've been for a while now which is fine yeah i think the people who were tempering were right to temper look i mean this guy's coming off like a 25 and 13 season right i mean he puts up some of the craziest fantasy stats in the league and that's not going to happen in golden state like he will be the one who sacrifices like clay's still going to get his shots katie's going to do his thing steph's probably going to come out gunning for an mvp after he got snubbed for finals mvp and draymond's going to be draymond right so cousins like statistically he is not going to be the same guy that's going to be a real adjustment for him and i think that's where the tempering comes in it's not like they're going to average 160 points a game here right it's just going to look he's going to look a lot different in golden state he will change how the warriors look but i think he's going to wind up sacrificing and adapting to what they do far more than the reverse yeah well and if if he's reasonably healthy (laughs) it just i because I really have been imagining the situation you laid out a couple minutes ago where it's like you're guarding KD, you're switching, you're doing everything right, and then you throw it to Boogie on some helpless 6'5 dude uh, on the block. And like the one – you can say a lot of things about DeMarcus Cousins, but he is the most effective offensive big man in the low post in the entire league. And he, so he's going to be able to finish all of that super efficiently and uh i don't know it's gonna be crazy to watch um, yeah don't sleep on his passing quick, either i mean the guy can be sloppy at times exactly. and make poor decisions but he can move the ball too and also he's a shooter you know you can play a lot of five out lineups now with cousins where the paint's wide open steph can get those really pretty reverse layups and the dipsy do things he likes to do KD will have maximum room to attack you know mismatches one-on-one because cousins is out there hanging in the corner uh, or at the angle, capable of you know making defenses pay for 
for sagging off. I mean, I think offensively he could make them even better, which is crazy to say because, you know, they're one of the best offenses in NBA history the last couple of years, uh, but it's possible. Next question is from Chase, who hit on a different aspect of this, and he says, while I am a huge basketball fan, most of my knowledge is in terms of the game itself and not necessarily the financial side of the league. I'm sure this is true amongst most other fans. Can you guys explain on the pod how the most recent CBA changed the way free agency has played out? Asking so when people ignorantly ask me about how and why players keep signing with Golden State, I will have an answer. Um, I don't know if we need to even do this. I did write about it today on Thursday, uh, so people can go read that. Because there is there's a conversation to be had about how much cap smoothing has kind of distorted the market for everyone this summer and uh, certainly screwed someone like DeMarcus Cousins, although the injury didn't help. But um, I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think a lot of it goes back to 2016. I wrote about it in, in that article. Uh, but I, I have to say, as a basketball fan, in addition to being a basketball reporter, and I think the podcast's is more of like of, of the fan side. I'm kind of just tired of talking about all this. What do you think? No, I hear you, Chase. Uh, if you want a simple answer, I mean, this is essentially what you should say. The NBA signed a huge new TV rights deal, so they had all this new money. In 2016, that meant the salary cap spiked up much more than people were anticipating, giving a team like Golden State a very rare opportunity to add a superstar. That wound up being Kevin Durant. Uh, since then, because they've been so good on the court, they've they've kind of had a similar magnetic effect to other players kind of wanting to, to come play for them. And we've seen that in other situations before. I mean, it is, you know, bandwagoning or, you know, ring chasing or whatever you want to call it. And the Cousins thing, to me, it's more explained by his health rather than uh, mm-hmm. by, you know, the salary cap jump or other CBA mechanics. Uh, simply because, you know, if he hadn't been injured last year, he'd be signing, you know, a hundred million plus contract with somebody. So uh, that's the short answer, Chase. You just say they got a bunch of money. They never had it before. Katie took advantage of the rare opportunity and the rest has been fairly much by the book in terms of how they've added talent. Uh, You can go back to the heat, the heat adding Ray Allen, for example, or, uh, you know, Chris Birdman, Anderson going there super cheap. I mean, they got some really talented players, on discount deals. And that's something that's happened, you know, throughout NBA history, because put yourself in that situation. If, if you're a role player or a guy who's aging or, you know, an injured player trying to be in a high visibility situation to make more money in the future, uh, you want to be on the best possible team. And, and that's, that's sort of how I explain what's happened with Golden State. They've also, by the way, had some rare sacrifices from their players. I mean, guys like Draymond, Clay Thompson, and Kevin Durant have all taken less money at various points to kind of help the team. That's very rare. And Andrew, kind of, to be honest, a little shady, (laughs) you know, like it's a little weird how these guys (laughs) keep doing these, uh, you know, team friendly discounts. So I think that's another overlooked aspect because for example, and I think you put this pointed this out in your column, right? Like Chris Paul is the counter, right? Like he just maxes out, takes all the money, doesn't really do uh, anything to help the team's uh, luxury tax situation this summer and that maybe helps cost them a player like Trevor Ariza, or it helps cost them the ability to compete for other free agents because uh, Houston might be more worried about their salary uh, situation because of it. Yeah, Houston is going to be in trouble. Um, 
That's the other thing that I would add, though, going forward, is that it wasn't just the cap spike and the failure to negotiate any kind of smoothing. I also think that the NBA really dropped the ball, and this is on the Players Association and Adam Silver and the owners. In the CBA, they renegotiated partly in response to what Durant did where they've now made it so expensive to keep Supermax guys that it's difficult to build teams around them. And I think there's just like a confluence of factors that have made contending in the NBA really, really expensive and uh, and kind of depressing because no one's close to the Warriors anyways. So you you have teams like the Wizards and the Blazers who are like, deep into tax territory and and now the thunder who we'll talk about in a second who are like the most extreme example for teams that like really don't have a shot and i'm worried about the rockets going forward also because you take ariza out of that lineup and i don't really know how great that it feels like things may have peaked last year and they're going to be twice as expensive going forward so I think the the short answer is that the league's finances are a mess and there have been a couple big mistakes made along the way and uh, it's just going to take at least another year to kind of iron things out and maybe a little bit longer. I've got a couple other CBA-related points. Can I make them? First would be, should the NBA have included an amnesty clause in its new collective bargaining agreement? Because remember, that used to be a great mechanism for ridding teams of bad contracts or guys who are overpaid, just the mistakes, right? So what they essentially did, they, yeah. they put it in so you could do a stretch, right? And everyone's talking about maybe Carmelo Definitely. Anthony will be stretched. They yeah, and so what I'm saying is, like, if you if you talk about the landscape, for example, in Houston, if they were able to just amnesty Ryan Anderson and then have greater flexibility to go chase somebody this summer, they might be a more competitive team with Golden State next season, right? And you can go around the league and find some of these yeah. other situations, like Portland, for example. They probably should have amnestied Evan Turner the day after they signed him, right? Or if not Evan Turner, then Myers Leonard. Like they just they've been caught up with those 2016 summer decisions year after year it's paralyzed them at trade deadlines it's paralyzed them in the summer it's forced them to kind of shed all these guys that a lot of the fans like whether it's ed davis or noah vonley alan crab i mean it's just kind of been a slow trickle of talent out of there had they had the amnesty clause they maybe could have pivoted a little bit better and and been able to you know turn themselves into a true contender that's point one uh, the point that would have been awesome, by the way. It, like Adam Silver sh- probably should have been more proactive in in pushing for that. And uh, so I don't know. I don't know if we hold it against him for not finding a way to make that happen. But it would have alleviated a lot of the concerns because I think a lot of the a lot of the angst you see amongst fans and other teams around the league isn't just about the Warriors being great. It's that like there's. They're so untouchable now, in part because it's so complicated to grow a normal contender, and the, and that kind of makes it all look even more hopeless. Totally. But I mean, continue. if you're trying to keep up with a team that's like not made a single roster-building mistake, and Golden State's like as close to perfect here over the last four or five years as you can yeah. get, right? It's it's literally once in a lifetime shit with the Warriors. Yeah, and so they don't make a single mistake, and then you make a big one, you're doomed, right? And nobody wants to be in that situation right. where you feel like your franchise is doomed because of one bad mistake. And I think adding the amnesty 
or even frankly two, or if you want to get wild, Andrew, what if teams had just unlimited amnesties? <laughs> I mean, where like no matter how many mistakes you made, you have to pay for them. You have to play pay the players their contracts, but eventually you can just you know write well, them off. I mean, there could be a line where you know that's too much, but but no, that's where it comes down to the to the owners too, because part of the problem and and what I pointed out in the article is that you the supermax extension would be a great advantage for hometown teams if the excess salary that they can offer doesn't count against the salary cap yep but uh and and in the luxury tax but i don't know whether it's owners in dc and okc not wanting to pay more money that then is is not accounted for under the salary cap or it could be rival owners who want some of the luxury tax revenue that they get when when teams like go over the cap like i i don't know who who was behind not making that move but it seems to me to be like a pretty obvious fix that for some reason they just didn't explore and uh and that comes that comes down to owners liking money and and not wanting to kind of spend for the encore product which has always been kind of an issue in a lot of markets around the league. So that that would probably be the biggest obstacle to our endless amnesty uh, proposal. <laughs> oh, it doesn't really need to be endless, but I mean, even, even two or one. It should one. be, though. That'd be great. Right. That'd be a great like annual subplot which which player on this roster is getting amnesty <laughs> getting voted off the island okay my my last uh, <laughs> cba point is this through the first four days of free agency Andrew, the top five players in terms of total contract value so i'm saying lebron paul george chris paul kevin durant and then aaron gordon uh, down in orlando he got a big uh, cash out on the re- restricted free agency contract those top five yep. players earned more total value than every other free agent who signed this summer, right? And so one of the things that people saw when like Chris Paul and LeBron James started to move to take over the Players Association and they were going through some of these conversations about cap smoothing and you know how the Supermax might work and so on and so forth was there was a concern that the NBA's middle class might be sacrificing and the stars might be sort of hoarding more of the money. And there was a, a pretty robust debate about that. Maybe that's how it should be, right? Like there's 10 guys in the league who pretty much drive all the revenue and they should be the ones sort of sure. benefiting from it. And everybody else is, you know, more or less replaceable. What we saw this summer to me was a big time squeeze of the middle class, bigger than I even anticipated when, you know, a few years ago. It's like because the cap environment was tight. There was only money to take care of the big fish, and then everybody else was kind of out there scrapping for peanuts. And you saw it play out a couple ways. I mean, in most scenarios, it just wound up being very short-term deals, right? Everyone's taking these one-year deals. They could try to get back on the market next summer. Uh, But in other situations, you're seeing players who you would think normally would go for like, say, 10 to $12 million maybe a couple of years ago wind up going for like five or six this year, right? So... Um, I think like one guy to point out, like kudos to Will Barton. Somehow he's still getting paid on like 2016 <laughs> terms know. by Denver when everybody else is getting Good paid like 50 yeah. or 40% of, of what maybe uh, their market value seems like it should have been. So it's just something to kind of keep an eye on here as we go forward. Like, does this continue to happen where basically the NBA's one percenters are just caking yeah. and everybody else is not? 
Yeah, it's a great point. Hats off to Will Barton's agent. Um, you know I've always been a Will Barton fan. I did see that contract at like 12.01 Saturday night and do a double take. And uh, really, it's a continuation of the double take I've been doing with the Nuggets front office for the last three years. Um, but I'm happy that he'll still be in Denver. I I'm, I love watching him out there. Um, I And your point on the middle class is... is a good one because I think in some respects that makes sense and that's the way the league should work uh, but it we're in kind of an awkward transition phase right now where there are still a lot of teams with middle class players on huge deals and it's skewing the finances of like 75% of the league and so it's difficult in that respect and I would also say that like um not every superstar should be paid like a top 10 player or not every not every like all-star level player should get 200 million dollars and that's kind of where we are right now like you know Kyle Lowry is getting 33 or 34 million dollars a year that's too much money for Kyle Lowry but like he has the leverage to demand that and so I don't know. It's I th- I think the annual raises that are negotiated into some of these bird rights max contracts we're starting to sound like the dunked on podcast. I don't want to get too too deep into like CBA world, but I think that there are certain elements of this stuff that are just a little bit off right now and it's going to create some bizarre outcomes over the next few years. I love that you have this like self-conscious like tick every time you say a phrase <laughs> that you realize you don't want to be saying in public and this time it was bird rights but you've <laughs> done know, this before then you just tough. like run back away from the third rail so you don't get electrocuted. It's uh it's always humorous yeah, to track your I don't want your... to get too deep into the weeds. I'm thinking of the normal people out there who have a life and don't care about the annual raises in bird rights max yeah. deals. So, but, so Chase, um, <laughs> when you're trying to really simply explain this to your friends in one sentence, go ahead and just play them this 20 minutes that we just did on the CBA for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, continuing on, though, and speaking of teams that are in strange places, Hayden says... As a longtime resident of Oklahoma, I can say that I was 99% sure Paul George was bolting for L.A., and I would not have blamed him one bit. And even from a basketball standpoint, Los Angeles seemed like a better fit and a better situation with their assets and the potential for LeBron to join. Can you guys explain what in the world Paul George was thinking with this decision? So, Ben, I will give you the first crack at it. You are the world's foremost Loose Lips Paul interpreter. Tell me what happened with him. I have no idea. <laughs> no, no. That's it? That's all you got? I mean, like, I struggled. I was writing my winners and uh, losers column for Thursday. It's out there, guys. Please go read it. I spent basically the entire holiday writing it. Um, and that was pretty much the number one question <laughs> the dream. that I couldn't answer, Andrew. I don't know if he's a winner or a loser. He seems happy, but he also seems happier than he should be. <laughs> and the party, like I finally saw the footage of him, Nas, and Russell Westbrook. I Look, I'm not a party guy. Didn't look like the world's best party. I don't know if that's how I would have wanted to celebrate <laughs> such a monumental decision in my life. But... Um, I think there are reasons for him to want to stay there. Number one, I think 
you know, assuming that they've all put their heads together, they realize Melo really held them back, especially in the playoffs. Melo was not going to be in the picture next year. Number two, everyone in Oklahoma City rightfully drinks the Andre Robertson Kool-Aid. The guy is really, really good. He's underrated. He's a weird player, but he's very helpful. And when they had him and Paul George on the court together, their defense was awesome and much better than it was uh, when he was, you know, out for half the year with injury, right? I think. Can I ask you something yeah. real quick on Roberson? Did he have an Achilles injury or an ACL injury? No, I think it was some sort of a patellar. Uh, I don't know. Okay. I don't want to misspeak, but I'm fairly certain that it's somewhat serious. Like, there's going to be some concern. You know, how good is he going to be after this injury? That's that's kind of what I mean. A lot of people are have have sold me the like Roberson's coming back narrative, and I'm firmly in wait and see mode as far as like what he's going to be when he gets back to that team because i i'm with thunder fans that he was he was really good and they were they had like a three to four week stretch where it looked like okc was awesome and you could see it really coming together and then he had that freak accident against the pistons and it all kind of unraveled from there but i just I don't think that there's any guarantee that he's going to come back and it's suddenly going to fall into place again. No, I hear you. I'm just sort of laying out what might have been on his mind, I hear, right? Yeah. I think the ultimate determining factor, and this is probably going to get me in, in trouble with the Lakers fans and LeBron fans yet again, I think it really mm-hmm. boiled down to the fact that he just preferred to play with Westbrook than LeBron. He knew what Westbrook <sighs> did to set him up. He understood how their, their partnership could work. Uh, he had the familiarity built up over a year, and that is, you know, whether it's a friendship, whether it's on the court, whether it's off the court, whether it's the community aspect of how they treat Westbrook and uh, just the overall comfort there versus the unknown of playing with LeBron and the craziness and the L.A. hype and the scrutiny. And there's just not that much scrutiny year round in Oklahoma City. It's a fairly good life. The, the fan base worships the players there. They wanted him to come back so badly. And I think from that standpoint, like if you're weighing those two, even though it seems obvious to outside observers like ourselves where, yes, he should just go play with LeBron. It's a bigger story. It's more fun. It's crazier. LeBron's better than Westbrook. Um, I could see why someone in his situation would be like, you know what? Uh, People are sleeping on Westbrook a little bit. We had some level of success in terms of their partnership. Uh, Westbrook did set him up for a lot of his, you know, catch and shoot three pointers, uh, which is one of his strengths. uh, And he could just make the decision that way. Well, yeah, I think when, I mean, it's better than his pull-ups. He, you know, I don't like when he goes off the dribble or when he tries to go into Kobe mode, but like if you're within the offense and Westbrook is driving and dishing and Paul George has a relatively clean look to stroke it, I'm fine with that. You know, I prefer that over yeah. a lot of what else Paul George tries to do on the court. I I hear you. It's just a lot of people talk about Paul George as if he's a Durant-level shooter, and he's never been at that level. <laughs> and I, I guess, I don't know, I... I a lot of Lakers fans were accused of kind of rationalizing missing out on Paul George after the fact and saying he wasn't that good. He's always been kind of overrated. You are my witness. That and for I'm not a Lakers fan, but like before this all went down, I like a week before free agency, I was texting you being like, "Look, I think the the Lakers might dodge a bullet if Paul George doesn't sign there." Is that, can you confirm that I said that to you? I mean, Andrew, you say a lot of things. I'll confirm it because I don't really care, <laughs> but it's hard to keep up with you. I hear what you're saying, okay. but I do think like 
dodging a bullet to me, it's going too far because LeBron could really use Paul George next season. It is. It there's no question that it is going too far because I, I also think a lot of the angst of this offseason and the, like the the feeling that this is a bummer starts with Paul George. If he had gone to LA and teamed up with LeBron like a week before they trade for Kawhi and we were talking about LeBron, Paul George, and Kawhi coming into next season to try to take down the Warriors, even if the Warriors went and signed Boogie, like that would be enough for us to be able to talk ourselves into next season because we'd also have the Celtics in the East and the Sixers. Like that's fun. Um, no, and that's not Paul just George, fun. That's amazing. I mean, we're talking about like it w- yeah, two California powers, you know, a brand new monster rivalry. And now we're saying maybe Rondo and Lance Stevenson can be playmakers. <laughs> well, no. What, and now we're saying what the hell happened, Paul George. And I think part of it is that he didn't like the idea of being third fiddle behind LeBron and Kawhi. And that's certainly his right. But it's also kind of our right to look at his career and the way that all of this has played out. And, you know, look, he declared himself playoff P and got dominated by Joe Ingles in in the first round of this year's playoffs. That happened two months ago. And last year, he got swept by LeBron. And he really wasn't that great for the Thunder for long stretches of this season. And I just think he... Is like I don't know if Paul George is ever going to make another All NBA team. I don't know if he's going to make another All Star t- t- uh, game. And I, I like I don't want to come down too hard, but to me, I think that I understand why the Thunder made this move. It was kind of the only option is you you buy in big on Paul George and run it back and try to make it work. But uh, no, I'm, I mean, I think it's, I'm bummed for him. Yeah, I, I think it's a coup for, say, Presti, and I think it's also a coup for Westbrook. I mean, both their reputations get a nice boost here. Like, Westbrook can say, look, I did enough to keep him. You know, I, I'm more of a leader than I got credit for. Yeah. Guys like me have been slamming Westbrook's, you know, kind of leadership abilities. And, you know, I think tip your hat to Westbrook. He got it done. And same thing with Sam Presti. You can say he learned the lessons from the failed recruiting of Kevin Durant, and he got it done in a big-time way bringing Paul George back. Does that make them a contender? You know, in my eyes, no, it doesn't. It makes them very, very no. expensive and a good team. And, and that doesn't matter. It's still a win for the Thunder, and we don't have, like, I actually was way more down on OKC, like, at the beginning of the week because I, I, I had started to write a column about how Russ and the ownership group, everybody in OKC learned their lessons like two or three or four years too late. And now they're kind of like locked into this version of the Thunder that are, that's like several levels below what might have been had they kind of been more enlightened earlier on. Um, but, uh, but I think it's still a win for them. The, yeah. the thing with Paul George is that I, his, his, perfect role would have been as the third superstar on a super team and I, I I don't really know what happened one element of this that I didn't I, I'm actually kicking myself as a tea leaf reader I should have paid attention to this earlier but his agent Aaron Mintz uh, is also Julius Randall's agent and 
the relationship with Randall and the Lakers got really toxic throughout the year. And I think that may have played a role in what happened here as well. Um, it's hard to say, though. I mean, this, this is going to be something that we look back on in a couple years, particularly if Paul George is still really good going forward and just kind of wonder what might have been had things gone differently. I saw you building some kind of angsty momentum when you were saying he's never going to make another all-star team. He's never going to make another <laughs> all-NBA team. I'm trying to take it down. No, I know. And I, I think People that's, know how I really feel. No, they don't, Andrew. And that's why I'm going to challenge you right here, right now. People don't know how you really feel. I know how you really feel. I think people can start to sense how you really feel. So I'm going to say... The next 30 seconds is just me and you talking. No one else is here listening. I think you need to let your true Paul George hot takes out right now. He's weak for not joining the Lakers. He's afraid of being on a super team. (laughs) Will you please (laughs) indulge us here a little bit? Just, you know, it's just 30 seconds between you and me. That, honest to God, that's sort of how I feel about Paul George. And if you want to go back, to 12 months prior on this podcast you came on open floor at the the day after gordon hayward like i guess signed with the celtics and then backed out and made us all wait for seven hours on fourth of july and then finally did sign with boston and you came out and lit into him and i believe the term you used was fake superstar Gordon Hayward, and that is how I feel about Paul George. He is a fake superstar, and I I feel bad saying that. I don't like like treading into that hot take territory, but I'm sorry. It's just how I feel. So proud of you. That was great. I loved it. (laughs) I loved it. I'm speechless over here. I've just got a huge smile on my face. Oh, that was wonderful. Yeah, well, let's bounce around a couple more topics before you have to hit the road to go to Las Vegas. Um... One question is from Ben, who says, how would you guys evaluate players like Julius Randle and Tyreek Evans coming from very poor teams? Obviously, it's hard to hold their lack of team success against them, but when they are constantly losing by large margins, it becomes easier to score meaningless buckets. What do you think, Ben? I think the Randall to New Orleans fits very interesting because I, you know, rather than just say, oh, he's an empty stat guy, whatever, whatever. I think the greater point down there with the Pelicans is that when you let Rondo and Cousins both go and you bring in Peyton uh, and a Julius Randall, you can actually make a case for both of those moves. Like Peyton's going to be cheaper and do some of the similar things. Randall is probably a cleaner fit in terms of being able to get up and down the court, and, and you know his defensive versatility might work a little bit better than Cousins, especially given you know, Cousins' injury there and, and how well New Orleans played after Cousins' injury down the stretch last year. But I think the bigger yep. point than drilling down on those individual fits is just that this is another summer of the merry-go-round around Anthony Davis, right? Like, Last year, you were getting all hyped up. Superstar duo, Twin Towers, DeMarcus Cousins, and then down the stretch of the playoff run, it's Rondo is a genius again. His haters were totally wrong. Here he is. I was saying that. I know. (laughs) You're quoting me verbatim. (laughs) A a lot of people were, and it's unlocking everything that makes Anthony Davis great. And now Anthony Davis is sitting over there saying, well, now I have another new supporting cast of teammates. Peyton has never really proven a ton in the league. Julius Randle has a big chip on his shoulder, and I thought they got him at a pretty good price. You know, all things considered, I like that move for New Orleans. I have no problem with it. But it's, are you really 
building something around Anthony Davis? Are you just trying to fill in the gaps and constantly like cover up, you know, a leaky roof? I mean, that's kind of how it feels there with the Pelicans. And to me, the big takeaway here is like, it doesn't matter whether Julius Randle was getting empty stats in LA and he can convert that to uh, New Orleans, or if he can become this quote unquote winning player. I don't think he's going to be good enough to take New Orleans further than they went in last year's postseason. And so therefore I look at the Pelican summer as kind of a net loss. Um, yeah, I agree with that on the whole. It's funny. The Pelicans fans, and I, I never want to be the like NBA writer who's out here lecturing people about how they behave on Twitter. Yes, you do. But it is that's your <laughs> no, that's I your don't. that's I your really main don't. thing. You love lecturing us about it, Twitter. <laughs> it it drives me crazy. But the one thing that's strange is anytime you mention an, a, an Anthony Davis trade on this podcast or on Twitter, like I immediately hear from people who are like, dude, let it go. They're not trading Anthony Davis, blah, 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 blah. And like, I don't know, man. I, maybe it's because people in New Orleans are not like traditional basketball fans and don't necessarily <laughs> like appreciate. They don't, I'm serious. Maybe they're look, stupid and don't know anything. Come on, get let it out. No, maybe. Now look, you're in the zone. I Go have a lot it. of... <laughs> I have a lot of family in Louisiana. They are diehard LSU football fans, and they don't give a shit about the NBA. So all I'm saying is, if you don't follow the league as closely, maybe you think Anthony Davis isn't necessarily going to be traded. But like, I think it's it's got to be at the forefront of their mind at all times, certainly if you're running the Pelicans. Um, and I don't blame Anthony Davis for being kind of frustrated by the way this all played out. And I like yeah you hit on all the all the themes that I would be worried about if I were um the Pelicans and Julius Randle is a guy who I love to watch but is not someone if I were looking to contend with the top 4 of the West he's not someone I would have sought out you know like I the dream Julius Randle situation for me would be a team like a team on the margins of the league where I can just watch him get 25 and 14 and win 35 games. I don't necessarily see him fitting in great on a title contender. And I think Anthony Davis, like we saw down the stretch of last year, like he's good enough to potentially carry them like almost the entire way there. If the Warriors didn't exist, the Pelicans would be as dangerous as anyone in the West. Um, so I, I don't love the Julius Randle fit. The Tyreek Evans thing in Indiana, I, that's another one where, like, I would have used the cap space a little differently than Tyreek Evans and Doug McDermott. I, I think, like, I, I know that the Pacers' hands are tied but uh, because, like, stars don't necessarily want to go there, but it kind of just seems like they're spinning their wheels with those guys. Yeah, I mean, you just even saying those names and realizing that those could be additions that kind of boost them up into home court and, you know, a top three seed in the East because the East is so bad just makes me (laughs) so (laughs) aggravated. But, uh, you know, going back to Anthony Davis and the Pelicans fans real quick, I have an alternate theory to what you're putting out there. I think that the Pelicans fans, there is a very – you know, diehard collective of them. And they're constantly trying to convince people that they do exist because people like you and everyone else in the city is constantly questioning their identity and really all they've got. I mean, Anthony Davis is their identity, right? Like if you're a Pelicans fan, that's all you've got. So now someone's trying to rip away your beloved 
you know, Messiah or Savior. Like, of course they're going to freak out, Andrew. Like, they're constantly trying to convince people they exist, and now someone's trying to ruin their life. That's tough. I think Look, the warning sign— I clearly deserve it. I clearly yeah. deserve it after questioning whether they understand the NBA today. I didn't really Yeah, well, I think that, the warning you know sign— <laughs> The warning sign for the Pelicans fans is, guys, that's how it works in the NBA. Like, superstars break fans' hearts. It happens. And if yeah. you don't build a true contender around him, he's probably going to break your heart. And that's— you know, maybe Andrew speculates like three summers too early, but it's not out of nowhere. <laughs> but and I was right about Kawhi a year ago at this time, so we're good. Um, moving on though, uh, Byron says so. Now the report is that Jimmy Butler wants out, and Tibbs is interested in Luol Deng and Joakim Noah. What happened to the Timberwolves? They used to be in the conversation of those up and coming franchises. Now, the six, the Sixers and Celtics are good, possibly great. Denver is at least fun. Even the Bucks have Coach Bud now. Meanwhile, Minnesota is just depressing. Do you have any thoughts? A, a lot of people in Minnesota were disputing the reports about Jimmy Butler earlier this week. Do you have a read on anything out there? I mean, my only read is what his agent said on the record, which was not a denial. <laughs> People tried to paint it as a denial, but his statement was Jimmy's not passive aggressive. So if anybody, if he feels that way about anyone, they know it, which basically read like to me, that's how Jimmy feels about his teammates. He's told them, he's called them out multiple times in the public. He's probably yelling at them every single day about it. And he's still hoping for more growth next season. I mean, uh, it was... Not a perfectly clean fit, especially sort of age curve wise when they got him. But to me, Jimmy backed it up on the court last season. Like he was very, yeah. very, very good. And unfortunately, his injury kind of changed their playoff positioning. And, uh, you know, it, it may be dampen their season a little bit. But uh, I think he's good enough at this point of his career to have that kind of presence. And I think everyone would agree, even Carl Anthony Townsend and, and Andrew, Andrew Wiggins' biggest supporters would agree that those guys need to grow. Now, is the best way for them to grow to learn from, you know, former like 2012 Bulls castoffs and be constantly berated <laughs> by their superstar and their coach? I don't know. I don't know if that's the healthiest environment. And uh, I think that it's reasonable to say when you look at their overall ceiling as a franchise here, kind of going forward into the future, a lot of people were banking on Wiggins turning into that top 20 player right and that's the question yeah. to me like towns is basically on track for where people thought he would be but one star is not like an elite contender type core especially in the western conference and unless wiggins makes that meaningful progress i think the emailer you know in terms of how byron laid it out comparing him to, to philadelphia or boston or even milwaukee is right you know it's their 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 ceiling is not as high as those teams I'm with you, and I think the Wiggins thing is interesting because a lot of people have now started telling themselves that like next year a lot of the league is going to have cap space and they can just trade Wiggins. I don't know. He's still going to need to improve before people look at that deal and are like, yeah, we'll give it a shot. Like He was just so limited last year relative to his talent and uh, relative to what the Wolves need and what any contender is going to need from a guy like that, that um, it's going to be a tough sell. There have, been, there have been a lot of different mistakes made, but look, they can still come back this season and put it all together and finish in the top four, and the conversation will be very different. The one thing I will add, though, is 
I'm not going to Vegas this year, and you are. So your job for the next 10 days or however long you're going to be out there holed up in a hotel room watching awful basketball, all I want you to do, though, is is ask everyone you meet what they're hearing about potential Knicks super teams with Jimmy Butler, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant next summer. I want to hear all the buzz on the ground because that's really all I care about for the next 12 months. I will do my best. I'll try to just work that seamlessly into conversations. I'm sure it'll be <laughs> no problem. Well, maybe there there are open floor listeners out there. You can just blame it on me, okay, and say that you have a, a idiot friend who wants to know. Um, but do you want to talk about the Lakers, the, the LeBron stuff? Do you want to revisit that for a minute? Only briefly, because I think we, we took it pretty deep on last week's episode. <laughs> okay, well... Elliot says, Ben, on Tuesday's show, you were being an obstinate bully in a way that reminds me of Donald Trump. I literally pulled the car over halfway through the podcast just to write this email. Yes, your point is well taken. LeBron has some non-basketball motivation for going to the Lakers. But the point that Andrew was trying to make is that no option available this summer was going to get LeBron onto a top three team of all time which is what he'd need to actually be favored against Golden State. LeBron has lost three times in the finals, had no chance of actually finding a team better than the Warriors while, as long as KD is there. So he said, F it, I'm going to try something else. Your response, Ben, to be compared to, to Donald Trump. No, he wasn't the only one to do that. And you know, my response, first of <laughs> all, my, re- my response, first so of all, so many Trump comparisons to you is that I apologize because I did get a little too excited. And I apologized, I think, to every single person who emailed in to kind of stand up for you, which was very cute. And I appreciate people doing that on your behalf. I, I don't hear okay. what Elliot is saying here at all, though. Uh, He's saying, oh, F it. I'm going to try something else. That's like LeBron's mentality. That's what I said LeBron's mentality was. He was no longer putting basketball first. He's having other motivations. And, you know, one thing I didn't specifically say in terms of what else could be driving it, you know, I painted it as celebrity. Uh, I painted it as, you know, desire for fame and money and things of that nature. And your counter, I think, to a lot of that was he wants to build his own team, right? He wants to be the center of it. And to me, that's not a basketball decision. A basketball decision, in my eyes, is maximizing your ability to be able to win a title in the short term because LeBron's title window is short. What you're describing of wanting to build something up as the main guy and fitting everybody else fitting in around him, to me, that's an ego decision. And again, that's not a knock. Yeah. That's completely allowed. I would never hold that against anyone. If you want to be the man God bless you. You know, that is completely fine. But as Elliot pointed out, and as I pointed out, and as everyone knows, because it's historical record, LeBron being the man will not beat Golden State. And there were situations out there, Houston, Boston, Philly, San Antonio, all of which gave him a better shot to beat Golden State next year. And everything that's happened since we recorded that podcast in terms of the Rondo decision, uh, you know, to use the cap space there, letting Julius Randle walk. I mean, you can't convince yep. me still that this is a Lakers team that's truly trying to build like a win now contender in the short term for LeBron, right? And even if they get Kawhi Leonard, I stand by that. That would be a great move. It would be very helpful. They should absolutely do it. But it's still not a situation that would be as, you know, amenable to winning as him joining up in Houston. And again, part of the ego is 
money-wise. He obviously wanted to cash out and take the four-year max. That's why he didn't opt in like Chris Paul did last summer so that he could go and form another super team. But he did have other better pure basketball options. To me, that's indisputable. And I think even Elliot, in your description of LeBron's thinking, you're not putting basketball first either. And that's fine. But that's yeah. that's the root of my problem with his decision. But Andrew, and I, I tried to stress this on last podcast. I want to say it again very clearly. I don't get hung up on this stuff. LeBron made his decision. He had the right to make his decision. <laughs> You're good with it. <laughs> I'm good with it. And guess what? It benefits me because I get to see LeBron play a lot next year. And I'm really, yep. really excited. I can't wait till media day. I can't wait till whatever his yeah. first press conference is. Hold that jersey up for me, LeBron. I can't wait to take a picture of it and put it on my Instagram story, Ben Doc Oliver. Well, listen, first of all, you never need to apologize to me because there's nothing that entertains me more than watching you dig your heels into an argument that doesn't totally make sense. And I understand. I don't want to reignite it because I, I know what you meant. And the funny thing is, is that we actually agreed on like 90 to 95% of what we were discussing with LeBron and what's possible for him out there and why he went there. And, um, and the other thing that I think is interesting is success or failure for him largely depends on what Durant wants to do next summer. And uh, because he just like we we talked for 15 or 20 minutes about the CBA and, and what's going on with that and how that has created the 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 league we have right now. But that could also sort of be boiled down to like if Kevin Durant leaves next summer, everything is fine because I think then the Warriors are still the best team and possibly the favorites, but are not like immortal and unstoppable. And um, in that scenario, a team with LeBron and Kawhi and maybe one other star has a real shot. And the same would be true if, uh, you know, like this, it's up for grabs if if Durant and Kyrie team up in New York. And so like the state of the league in general could change dramatically in 12 months. Um, and that's why it very much is a wait and see situation for me with LeBron in LA. Um, but it is he, like, he's getting older and at some point that's going to matter. So I, at, which I think is the point that you were trying to make as well. Yeah. He's on a two year window and what really was amazing yeah. to me was after we recorded that podcast, how quickly, alarmingly quickly, the conversation changed from here's LeBron's super team he's going to build this summer to here's the guys he's going to go get next summer. Oh, my God. Right? It happened <laughs> within 24 hours, and the list came out. It's like you know Jimmy Butler and Kyrie Irving and all these different guys, right? And my point there is when you start to move the goalposts that quickly, you set them forward another year. You're essentially saying, look, LeBron, we're going to give you this year as a pass. And my point is, that's fine. Like, I do not expect LeBron to win a title next year. And I think it would be unfair to do that, right? But from the historical standpoint, that's what he's been chasing for years and years and years. There's not been very many cases throughout his entire career where we've said before the season, especially since he's reached his prime, we're just going to write off LeBron's team as a possible contender, right? Like they're just not even in the conversation. It's just going to be too tough. Uh, He needs some time to kind of get things together. He needs some help next summer from Kevin Durant leaving and, you know, him being able to add, you know, a superstar or two around him, right? That is just not a conversation we would have had at any point in Miami and really even any point in Cleveland, including after they lost Kyrie Irving. And I think some of this is, 
the mystique of the Lakers coming through, right? Like, can you imagine, like, let's say LeBron resigns in Cleveland and Kobe Altman's big moves are Rajon Rondo, Lance Stevenson, <laughs> and JaVale McGee. Wouldn't they have been 10 times the punchline that they the Lakers were? Oh my God. Like, I mean, yeah. seriously, like if those were their moves and let's say they didn't even have Kevin Love, right? All they had was other young guys and they're trying to fit in around him, right? Like take the Lakers roster as it is currently, drop it in Cleveland and tell me the reaction to what that summer would have been. Everyone would have given the Cavaliers an F. They would have said they're wasting LeBron's year. What are they doing <laughs> adding these guys around him? To me, I understand the excitement factor from the Lakers. And I, Andrew, I also want to say this. I was not trying to yeah. rain on anyone's parade, okay? I was just trying to be as rational as possible where, where this is headed next season. No, look, and you're not wrong. I did also enjoy seeing up close how crazy Lakers fans can get because we heard from a number of people from L.A., who are like I just unsubscribe from the pod. It's been it's been real, but I just can't handle this anymore. <laughs> and it's like, whoa, okay. Look, because the other thing is, you went in a different direction with this, but for me, as soon as we finished the pod, like an hour later, I looked up and saw that they had signed Rondo and really locked themselves into this this year of castoffs plus LeBron. And, uh, I mean, that made it a lot realer. <laughs> like, whoa, okay, so this team could really win, like, 44 games next year, and that's the plan. I don't really know I don't really know why that's the plan. I don't know how we got here, but it seems like that's where things are headed. Yes, exactly. Hey, by the way, while we were having this discussion, my mind wandered for a second, and I just started picturing the headline, Andrew Sharp reports Paul George is a fake superstar, and I started smiling again. <laughs> so great. <laughs> no. That was great. We have to do that more often where we, we just give you 30 seconds to unleash, and, and nobody oh, judges you for God. it. Oh, God. Well, listen, last question here before you hit the road. Mac says... While you guys reminisce about the birth of LeBronzo, don't forget about your thoughts on 10-time Tatum at last year's Vegas Summer League. And if you're looking for a fun consequence of L.A. LeBron, don't let it be another year of hope for Toronto. This is going to be the first year of Jason Tatum at the NBA All-Star Game. So I have two thoughts here. First of all, Ben, I follow a lot of Celtics writers And I swear to God, at least once a day, I get some random update about Jason Tatum draining like 80% of his threes in an empty gym or Jason Tatum working out and adding like 15 pounds of muscle in Boston and he's living at the Celtics facility. And like, so don't you worry, Mac, I am not going to forget about our guy 10-time Tatum, who has since been rechristened 12-time Tatum. Uh, and the other thought I had is I that that's what I'm looking forward to most is whatever wild overreactions you have from this year's Summer League. So I, I don't want to put any pressure on you, but that's what the whole Open Fork Globe is going to be expecting from you next week. No, I'm pretty excited for Summer League. I mean, it could be better. Uh, you know, Tatum could have, you know, shown up, you know, and continued to put work in for his team. You know, <laughs> Jason Tatum is a fake superstar. Won't play in summer league. Yeah. Uh, no, I, there's a few things. First of all, I'm very glad you clarified. It is 12 time Tatum. So, Matt, come on, man. Like, step it up. Uh, the other thing uh, in terms of Boston, what happens? You know, Hayward's coming back, right? He's going to be using a lot of touches. Yep. 
Like, are we totally sure Tatum's going to be able to make the All-Star game, you know, his first career appearance, given where his numbers <laughs> are going to be and where he's on that pecking order, right? I mean, you got Kyrie, you got Horford. I mean, I realize there's a lot of open spots for All-Stars in the Eastern Conference, but, you know, how many guys is Boston going to get? Four, five? I mean, how's that going to play out? I think that actually is, you know, a relatively interesting storyline in terms of Hayward sort of, you know, reacclimation to what they've been doing and and who do, whose expense does it come at? Or does everybody win? Does Stevens find a way to make it Shangri-La? Definitely something I'm going to be looking for heading into next season. But I also think this concept of the All-Star game, LeBron has shifted from East to West, right? And you remember last year's All-Star game, they basically said, we're going to have captains now, but we're still going to keep the player pools as 12 players yeah. from the East and 12 players from the West. And I got really upset about that because I said, look, if you're just going to be picking captains, just take the 24 best players regardless of conference. And that way we don't have so many snubs in the West. I wonder if LeBron going from East to West will trigger that next step. Because when you look at the Western Conference's all-star team, Andrew, it's completely insane. Like Curry, Harden, Durant, <laughs> LeBron, and Anthony Davis, like even in a best case scenario for Kawhi's comeback, he's probably not going to be a starter for the West, you know, potentially. Uh, and then yeah. you, you start to get down into the snubs and the West snubs again are better than the East remaining all-star teams. And so to me, even though you, you mixed it up with the, the captain's format, so you maybe had a more competitive game than you would have had otherwise, you're still leaving an awful lot of really good players at home and you're boosting up a guy like maybe Blake Griffin or Andre Drummond oh, yeah. or players like that Dude, into this game that just don't belong, right? You know what you know what's funny is the way to properly gauge the talent, you have to use all NBA teams versus all-star games because obviously like the East is sending twelve or thirteen guys to the all-star game every year. So that can be misleading. But when you look at the people who actually make the All-NBA teams, I saw the stat the other day. I I forget the specifics, but it's like, honest to God, like 85% of the All-NBA teams from the past three years are in the West this year. And I don't know where that leaves the Eastern Conference. Certainly, the runway is clear for 12-time Tatum to take off and take over the East. Um, Giannis will, will probably be the best player and... I'm actually starting to get really excited about next year's Bucks, but you're right that it is going to be so dramatic and borderline embarrassing that it's probably time for the league to shake things up even more than they did last year. Yeah, so I want it to be crystal clear for Celtics Nation out there. Andrew and I are advocating for a change to the all-star format so that Jason Tatum will not be selected. Okay, It just <laughs> no, needs to be completely no, above board and just straightforward and honest. That's what we're looking for here, look, Andrew. look. It's going to be 12-time Tatum, Kyrie, Gordon Hayward, um, who else? Jalen Brown, and then our guy, Dwight Howard, starting in the All-Star <laughs> game for the East next year. It's going to be great. Can't, I can't wait. Can he outpull Joel Embiid? That's the question. Hey, by the way, <laughs> the All-NBAs is a good measure, Andrew, but there's another great measure, and that would be the SI Top 100. I believe Giannis is the only guy left in the Eastern Conference from last year's Top 10. We'll see how much that shakes up uh, you know, heading into next year once we start pulling that together in a month or two. But don't sleep on the top 100 as a measure of the conference's relative strengths. But on that note, Andrew, I think we should thank everyone except for the people who really freaked out, uh, who emailed us at openfloormail. <laughs> unsubscribe forever. At gmail.com. Yep. It's openfloormail 
at gmail.com for all of your questions, comments, concerns, and hopes uh, about uh, Las Vegas Summer League. As you mentioned, Andrew, I'm headed out there here in a couple hours. If you're at Summer League, come say hello. I promise I'm nicer in person than I am uh, to Andrew on the air most of the time. Also, Andrew, they can check us out on Apple Podcasts. Search our page. It's two words, open floor. Scroll down when you get there. It'll say rate and review, tap five stars. We really appreciate the support. Andrew, I'm a little worried about you because of the Wizards, but you know you can have this weekend to let everything you said today sink in. We'll, we'll check back in on you. We'll take your temperature next week, and we'll see how that's going. Uh, until then, I will talk to you. It's going to be a great, great year, man. I am not worried. Go enjoy Vegas. I'll talk to you next week. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.